Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Pray before we get started. Father, you're glorious. And we say that based on not the opportunity that we've had to see you visually, visibly, but you're glorious because of what we've beheld of you in your word. And we thank you that that is the, the premium and primary way that you reveal yourself to man through your word. Yes. We behold and marvel at the wonder of creation. And even in the way that you speak to us, as it says in Romans, via our conscience. But we know that ultimately, the way you clearly and categorically speak to us is through your word. Father, we're here meeting today to worship you, to meet with one another and be encouraged, but also to hear you speak to us from your word. Reveal yourself to us, we pray, so that we can glorify you in an even greater way because of the fact that we behold you. Help us. Thank you, Father, for your spirit, who's the great teacher today. Teach and instruct us, we pray. Build us up. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you're visiting for the first time, my name's Robert. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel, South London, along with Pastor Patrick and Pastor Ephraim. You might want to quietly pray for Mark. I should have prayed for him. Mark 5, he's teaching at Twickenham today, at Twickenham Calvary Chapel. It's amazing what the Lord is doing here in our little tiny fellowship. See, man like Foxy raised up and moving out, and man like Mark teaching. And, you know what I'm saying? Different individuals having opportunity to share and grow and be nurtured. It's wonderful. And we're encouraged because we see exactly what it says in Ephesians taking place. You know what I'm saying? The facilitation of the body being involved in ministry. So, if you're joining us for the first time, as I said, we're in the book of Acts, and we're looking at the history of the early church. And we're in a mini-series within our larger series, and it's called The Bigger Picture. And this is the second one in that mini-series. And today's message is called The Unusual Conversion of Two Men. The Unusual Conversion of Two Men and we're going to be looking at the whole of chapter 10 by the grace of God. Holy perverses. So if you turn there with me, I'm going to start reading in verse 1 through initially to verse 8. Guys, could you turn off the monitors for me, please? At Caesarea, Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. Thank you. A centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man, by the way I'm reading from the ESV, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, 
Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Here we are in another episode in the epic of the book of Acts. Now, without hearing last week's message, you may benefit from hearing this week's message. But without hearing last week's message, you will not get the deeper meaning. Without hearing last week's message, you may benefit from hearing this week's message, but without hearing last week's message, you will not get the deeper meaning. Now, I don't mean to isolate those of you that were not here last week, but that's just the way it is. And I would encourage you to listen to that message because it was the introduction to this very important section. This portion describes a groundbreaking transition. It's one of the major turning points in history. As an event, this is as big as the flood or the exodus or the Babylonian captivity. Major, major, major transition. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. And understanding this transition will greatly affect your complete understanding of the New Testament. It's that important. That's why I stress it. Before we get into the text, here's a question. Why did the Lord Jesus give Simon Peter the keys to the kingdom? Do you remember when Jesus had this conversation with Peter? Have a look at this. This is Helsinki Cathedral. It's in Finland. And if you look just to the, to the left of the building, you should see a statue right on the top, just under the arrow. <laughs> Now that statue is hard to see from where you're sitting, right? So here's a close-up of that statue. Peter with the keys to the door of heaven, it suggested. Now, that is not exactly what the text says. So let's have a look at it. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. Second part of verse 18. Amen. It's wonderful to hear everybody turning in their Bibles. Amen. Not depending on the screen. Matthew 16, second part of verse 18. The Lord Jesus says, I will build my church. Thank the Lord we see that, don't we? Even in our midst. 
and the gates of hell, which is death, shall not prevail against it. I will give you, speaking to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, most of the commentators that are consulted, including Adam Clark and Albert Barnes, agreed that the keys to the kingdom was a description of the authority to permit admission. Especially when you appreciate that binding and loosing, more specifically with regard to the context, speaks of granting or refusing, permitting or denying, bidding or forbidding. Peter, particularly, was the one who opened the door to who, initially? To the Jews. At the birth of the church, do you remember where? In Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, how many Jews did he open the door to? 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. Then, in Acts chapter 8, Peter, accompanied by John, go to where? Samaria. Because remember, Philip was down there, and the Lord was moving. So Peter, accompanied by John, go to Samaria to complete the initiation of the new believers there. Acts chapter 8, verse 14 and 15 say, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Drop down to verse 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the who? Samaritans. A little later, in Acts chapter 15, verse 7, we hear Peter say, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And we will see here in Acts chapter 10 the exact incident that Peter is actually referring to there in Acts 15. So the message would start in Jerusalem and spread to Judea and then move out to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. Which racial group would hear it first? The Jews. Then who? The Samaritans. Then who? The Gentiles. Samaritans are half Jews, but then to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 13, verse 44 to 47, again makes clear allusion to this. Verse 44 says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews, the who? The Jews, when they saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy 
and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be, be spoken first to you, who? The Jews, in verse 44. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation, where? To the ends of the earth. Can you see the progression? So, who was it that opened the door to the Jews and the Gentiles? Peter, on both occasions. Now, we will look at that first occasion, not for the Jews, because we saw that months ago in Acts chapter 2, but let's look at the first occasion for the Gentiles. But just before we crack the text, one more thing. One more very important thing. The Gentiles were ecstatic at the opportunity to be brought into covenant with God. Brought into covenant with the Jewish God. But the Jews, who up until now had, had a monopoly on God, were indignant. Also, these first century Jews had a long history of Gentile oppression and aggression. Remember Egypt and Pharaoh? Do you remember the Philistines? Do you remember Babylon? Where we sat down and we wept. And now, the Romans. They have a history of oppression and aggression with regard to Gentile nations. And there's no love lost between the Jews and these other groups. Jewish men commonly stated, I thank you, Lord, that I was not born a woman, a Gentile, or a dog. And there was this invisible iron curtain This middle wall of partition, this dividing wall of hostility. Particularly the Jews who opposed Christianity and the apostles. Now that's one thing. But even the Jewish Christians, even Jewish blood-bought, Christ-knowing, saved Christians were not happy about this opening of the door to the Gentiles. They were aware that, of course, God so loved the world. But surely, he really didn't mean it. Did he? Even Peter, we're going to see, has his own struggles accepting these unclean newcomers. Verse 1 of our text. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Now, where is Caesarea? Here's a map. The red spot is Jerusalem, as you all know. The green spot is Joppa. Now, we're going to come back to Joppa. That's why I've noted it. But that's where Caesarea is, or Caesarea. It's north of Joppa. Caesarea was a garrisoned city. And it's the Roman 
administrative capital. It's like, this is for Rome, their capital of this area. The whole province of Judea. And this is where Cornelius lives. And Cornelius is a centurion. What you have to think when you think about Cornelius is Maximus Decimus Meridius. When you think of Cornelius, think gladiator. Think Roman soldier. And more than a Roman soldier. Why? Because he's a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort or the Italian regiment. Now a cohort is approximately 600 men. So Cornelius was a Roman officer responsible for one-sixth of that cohort, about 100 men. He's a centurion. We got a red century. Funnily enough, this man, although a hardened fighting machine, is, verse 2, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. Now those two don't seem to go together. This was an exceptional man in more ways than one. He was one who led Roman armies into battle. But more importantly, he was one who set a great example for others as well as his own household. He was a man who was devout. That means he was devoted to God. He was the head of a God-fearing family. I mean, just being that sets this man apart. Yesterday, today, and forever. He was also generous to the needy. And then he was a man of constant prayer. Those are all qualities that I wish that I had more of. Although probably a man who had, and this is the problem, apparently probably a man who had not become a fully converted Jew, not being circumcised. He would have been known as a God-fearer, but still categorized as a Gentile, still castigated as an outsider, excluded from God's covenant. The tragedy is that the Jews took advantage of such circumstances and filled with racial pride and hatred despised Gentiles and developed traditions that kept them apart. No pious Jew would ever sit down at the table of a Gentile. This was the entrenched prejudice which was to be overcome. It had to be overcome before Gentiles could be admitted into the Christian community. Now, we know that 
the divide emphasized by the Jews was not one that originated with the Old Testament. On the contrary, although the Old Testament spoke clearly about the differences between God's people and those outside of God's covenant, God still had a planned rescue package outlined for all. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Remember that Abram actually was a Gentile. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, some of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And... In you, most of the families in all, no, it says all, all of the family. In you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 10. About the ninth hour of the day, which is what time? 3 p.m. Because it's nine hours from daybreak, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, that is Cornelius, he saw clearly in a vision, which is much more distinct than a dream, he saw an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, (laughs) and like most of us would do, he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? There isn't a man or woman in the Bible who, when confronted by an angel, isn't terrified. Whether Mary, the mother of Jesus, or the great prophet Daniel, not least of all, this Roman fighting machine, and he, that is the angel, said to him, your prayers And your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. God had taken note of these offerings. We have to remember that Cornelius isn't accepted by God because of his gifts. If you've been around the Bible for a minute, you know that's true. But if you haven't, you have to be careful. Because religion, apart from Christianity, name them. What they suggest is that you must do good things in order for God to accept you. How many of you know that if we were accepted by God on that basis? All right then. Because how many good things are enough? And then you've got the big problem, which is the, the, the real issue. How about the bad things that we've done? The Bible makes it clear that one bad deed is enough to separate an individual from God in hell for eternity. And that's not counting the good deeds against the bad deeds, because one bad deed completely outweighs all good deeds. Furthermore, the Bible Bible tells us that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. And that's prettying it up, right? For those of you that know, 
Anybody don't know what that means? Filthy rags? Well, just in case you don't know, let me, let you, let me tell you. A filthy rag is a used menstrual cloth. See, I printed it up. I never made it sound as bad as I could have. Not just a menstrual cloth, a used menstrual cloth. That is our good works. So, let's just be reminded that it's not because of his offerings that now, woo, the Lord responds to Cornelius. No. Yet, our good works do have a place. But never, ever contributing to our redemption. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. You can't work for a gift. Not of works. That's what you, that's working. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If I was able to work my way into heaven, then I could say, yeah. Well, I know why I'm here in heaven. Why are you here? Right? But we can't say that. Because I would be found to be boasting. It's a gift. You can't purchase or pay for or work for a gift. It's your birthday. Here's a gift. But boy, I ain't really got no money on me right now, you know. But next week, I'll hook you up, yeah? Do you, that, that's, that's offensive if somebody gives you a gift. That's offensive to say you're going to pay for that. We just have to get these things in the proper perspective, Amen. God is reminded of Cornelius by these offerings. Otherwise, we would, not, we would not need to... There would be no need for Peter to visit Cornelius later on. Verse 5, And now send men to Joppa, Cornelius, which is approximately 35 miles away, and bring one, Simon, who is called Peter, I'll tell you where he is. He's lodging with one Simon Atana, whose house is by the sea. Simon Atana, we met him last week. So Simon is staying with Simon. Verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had departed. Notice this was a literal experience rather than a mystical mental picture. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called, Cornelius called, two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. Consistent with his lifestyle, immediate obedience. Those who were selected were chosen specifically and were probably as spiritually inclined as was the centurion because look at verse 8. And having related everything to them, <laughs> I mean, you don't start telling people about visions and angels. And He told them the full story. To some degree, they must have been appreciative of these things. Then he sent them to Joppa. 21 hours later, as they completed the first leg of their journey, verse 9, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. What time is that? Twelve noon. To do what? To pray. And verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. 
Notice how Peter gets the munchies while trying to pray. I know that none of you can identify with that, right? Now, this is going to be a different experience compared to the one that we just saw with Cornelius. The centurion had a vision of an angel whilst Peter fell into a trance. The Greek says that he had a displacement of the mind. It's the word ecstasy. I suspect that conjures up a few different thoughts, right? It's when the external senses are partially or entirely suspended. Some have suggested in a similar way to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 2 when he was caught up to the third heaven. And he says he wasn't sure if he was in the body or out of the body. Remember? Verse 11, and in this trance he saw the heavens, maybe in a similar fashion, he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And it came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Notice Peter's response in contrast to Cornelius' response. Peter never seems to get it the first time. For him, everything needs to be in triplicate. Remember the denial? Three times, then the cock crowed. Remember his recommissioning by Jesus when Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? Three times. It makes you wonder which one is actually saved, Peter or Cornelius? Here we have a clue as to the types of animals, reptiles, and birds presented on this sheet. Evidently, ceremonially unclean creatures. I'd really, really love for us to get into this, but that is talking about those particular animals that are unclean with regard to Old Testament ceremony and how we are to understand these things. But we don't have time today. There was once when we went through the book of Mark, and I'm going to quote from Mark momentarily. So I'm not skipping over this as an issue because you might be feeling, oh man, I really want to understand that. We have dealt with it. Um, I'm not able to give you the date and the time of that message, but if you come and check me, I'll get that to you, where we talk about those things at length. Because my desire is for us to deal with chapter 10, I'm not going to digress and deal with that today. Suffice to say, 
these animals are unclean and Jews are not allowed. They're prohibited to eat these animals, to eat these creatures, to eat these unclean items. And the word kill here, when the Lord says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. The word kill here doesn't just mean take the life of. It actually means to sacrifice. Just like when the priest at the altar takes an animal, he doesn't just kill it. He kills it in ceremonial fashion and he then offers it up to God as a sacrifice and then places it on the altar. That's what this word here, kill, means. Just like the priest at the altar. And then there are portions of the animal that would be consumed, but then there were portions of the animal that the priest himself would actually eat. So you can imagine how Peter is feeling when the Lord is saying to him, I want you to take these unclick, this, kind of like, wait a minute. This cannot be a vision from God. <laughs> Not only to take it and to offer it up as a sacrifice, but then you want me to eat it? This is the picture that is conjured up in the mind of Peter. Not remembering what the Lord had said to him in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. This is the Lord Jesus. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now you might say, but that sounds like a contradiction. How could God at one point say they mustn't eat and then say that they can eat it? Therein lies the paradox. I encourage you to get the tape. CD. MP3 even. Jesus says it's not the things that go in, but it's the things that come out. And we have to differentiate between ceremonially being unclean and sin. Now, verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and so they should. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Now that parenthesis is not mine. That's in the text. Thus he, Jesus, declared all foods clean. And you can find another reference to that in, I believe it's in Colossians, is it Colossians 2? Where it talks about those who will, at a certain point, declare certain foods to be unclean. You can't eat this and you can't eat that, they will say. Today, not then, they did say it then, but they still say that today. Certain Christian, quote-unquote, groups will say that to you. And in, in, this, in the same context, I believe in Timothy... It talks about those who will prevent 
marriage. And you know which quote-unquote Christian group does that? Saying that priests need to be celibate. False doctrine. Doctrine of demons. There ain't no food that you can't eat. That's not me, Cesar. Jesus said that. You bless it and you eat it. Now, there are some foods that are not good for you. There are some foods that were not good for Israel to eat, given the hot climate. There are certain foods, you leave it there for four or five hours, that turns. And if you eat that in that heat, you better don't mind sharp. If you shut your eyes and pick that up and put it in your mouth, your mouth's full of worms. And you can get botulism and trigonosis. Now, I said I wasn't going to go into all of that, right? <laughs> there are certain foods that they say you can't eat, but that's not true. Quote, not me, quote Jesus, Mark chapter 7, verse 19. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy. It makes you wonder how, how, how the heart's big enough for all of this stuff. Slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And in order to reemphasize the original point, verse 15... Acts 10. And a voice came to him again the second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Wow. God, you must be really serious. To re it's like maybe, even, not just because it's Peter. Anybody hearing that would need to hear that twice. Right. Verse 16. This happened three times. Leaving no room for any reasonable doubt. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Verse 17. Now while Peter, like most of us would be, was inwardly perplexed. Now this is astounding. This, remember, this is the same Peter that, that Jesus actually spoke those words, words to that I just quoted in Mark 7. Yet he's still perplexed. This is astounding. Peter is so far from fully understanding. Can you identify with Peter? I can. We are so short-sighted, aren't we? We desperately need insight from God. But like the writer of Hebrews, I'm not sure who it was. I don't think it was Paul. But the writer of Hebrews is writing and he's talking about Jesus and his high priestly ministry and comparing him to Melchizedek and then he stops and he's like you're not getting it are you you don't understand nothing that I'm trying to say he said the time when you ought to be teaching others you're still having to be taught the basic fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ because you're lacking and lacking in understanding and then he goes on in Hebrews 6 to begin to lay the foundation, which we're going to do when we begin to roll out membership starting 
next week. He lays the foundation in Hebrews 6. And what is it? And this is what we're going to share, not next week, but for those of you that determine to become members here at South London. Why? Because we want you as God's people to know what you're about, to know what you believe and to know why you believe it. And it's the ABCs, Hebrews 6. You can check it before we get into it in a few months' time. Hebrews 6, the fundamental foundation stones of your life as a believer. And it's six things. Repentance from dead works. Faith toward God. The doctrine of baptisms. Laying on of hands. Resurrection from the dead. And eternal judgment. Six foundational, fundamental stones in the foundation of your building. And, the, and you read Hebrews 6, it goes on to say, if you don't have these things laid in your life, God will not give you a permit to continue building. That begs the question, whoa, Lord, I wonder if I've got that foundation in my life. There's me 15, 20, 30 years as a Christian. Can't, can't figure out how comes I can't move on. How comes I'm plateaued? How comes I, I'm not growing? Because the Lord's standing over there with a clipboard saying, I don't know where you think you're going. Do you think someone like, um, he's not here today, I can't see his face. Julian, Gamma. He's a quantity or quality surveyor. I can never remember the difference. He's a quantity surveyor. And, you know, a quality surveyor is the guy who comes and he checks the building. Your building, the foundation's done and you want to move on to put the walls. He says, wait a minute. Just before you put the walls on, let's just make sure that the foundation is, has been built according to the regulations. And, and he checks. And if the foundation is good and it's solid, he says, now you can proceed. Here's your permit to continue building. But without that permit, it's deep. Like the foundation needs to be. How did I get onto that? This is astounding. Peter is inwardly perplexed. We desperately need, like Peter, as disciples, when we hear things that particularly in the Bible that we don't understand, not say, well, you know what, this don't make sense. So, cha, I think I'm going to go and become a Muslim. If that happens, then you know that something's wrong with that foundation. <laughs> we need to wrestle with these things. We need to seek the Lord. Set ourselves apart even sometimes, fasting and praying. Lord, what does this mean? What does this mean? We desperately, just like Peter, who's an apostle. That's why I'm so encouraged, even as a pastor, that I don't know everything. Hey. I'm in good company with the Apostle Peter, right? And so are you. Right, I said I wasn't going to digress. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Peter's on the roof. They're at the gate. And called out from down bottom at the gate as to whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Wow. 
Talk about perfect timing. But that's not all. Look at verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Now, this wasn't an impression. Like, hmm. Did I just hear something? Or I'm not really sure, but an impression. No. It wasn't intuition. Peter literally heard the voice of God. That is the Spirit. Notice it's the third member of the Trinity. Who is God speaking? And the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And without hesitation, which is quite novel for Peter, and Peter, verse 21, went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Isn't it amazing how God wonderfully synchronized these events? The angel speaks to Cornelius, who dispatches some messengers, then the Holy Spirit in preparation is speaking to Peter, then brings the messengers along at precisely the right time. Notice how God works at both ends. Have you ever had that kind of experience? I have. That's how I met Pastor Patrick and Pastor Ephraim. And most of you know the story. We were all in the right place at the right time and I look back 20 years and I say hey I say Lord you're heavy synchronized in 2003 to give you another example in Jamaica I sensed God speak to me it wasn't an audible voice like Peter but I sensed the Lord really speak to me I was sitting in a taxi and you heard the story and I said, Lord, please never send me to this place. (laughs) And I just sensed the Lord say, hey, I didn't say anything to you, Robert, about coming to Jamaica. But what if I did? Now, I'm on one side of the island in a place called Bushy Park, which is near Old Harbour which is in St. Catherine, kind of close to Spanish town, Kingston, that way. On the other side of the island, the Lord is speaking to somebody else. And that man is praying, Lord, please send somebody, Lord, to Jamaica to help us. Like the man from Macedonia. Six years later, I get to meet this gentleman and we have the opportunity to exchange our stories. Synchronized! Always be wary when someone has a word for you from God. Make sure that it's confirmed. Both ends. Hmm, really? Wow. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, my sister. I'll put that in box number 13. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, test and prove all words of prophecy. But I'm not going to despise it, but like, mm, that sounds really interesting. Thank you. 
But then you pray and allow the Lord to synchronize that with him actually speaking to you. So, here we have this meeting of four. A soldier, two servants, and the apostle Peter. And Peter wants to know, why have you come? Verse 22, and they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, (laughs) was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So, verse 23, he invited them in to be his guests. Now consider the picture. Jews entertaining, which meant eating with three Gentiles. One of them being a Roman soldier. In a house, as we saw last week, Simon the Tanner's, in a house that would be completely and totally ceremonially contaminated. This is extremely unusual. Peter is experiencing a conversion. That is in attitude. The next day he rose and he went away with them. And some of the brothers, six to be exact, we find that from another portion in the book of Acts, six of Simon's people, they go to They go from Joppa and they accompany him, verse 24, and traveling back up north, because they've come down, right? Traveling back up north now, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius is excited, to say the least. Verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. Verse 26, but Peter lifted him up. That means Peter touched him. An unclean Gentile, a Roman Gentile, saying, stand up. I too am a man. The first thing we notice is that No godly man in the Bible accepts worship. I mentioned that last week, remember? Everybody in ministry, hey. No godly man in the Bible accepts worship. Apart from, there's only one man, apart from Jesus. You see him consistently through the Gospels accepting worship. Too many examples. Peter quickly, quickly encourages Cornelius to his feet. I am a man. Worship is reserved only for God. But secondly, notice, I too am a man. I too am the same as you. Steve. Peter had probably never touched, never entertained, or entered the house of a Gentile before. This is a picture like a member of the Ku Klux Klan 
visiting Malcolm X. <laughs> or someone from the national from the National Front, the BMP party, going to visit Levi Roots in Brixton. And you know he actually does live in Brixton. I too am a man. I too am the same as you. Peter brings this outsider, this Gentile, this man up to a common level. And he looks him in the eye and says, we are both the same. Peter's getting a revelation. It's powerful. Only Jesus can really bring down the walls of racial hatred. I know, and if I named him, you'd know him. I know a white pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor, who used to be a white supremacist. And he's one of my, I can't say he's my best friend, but we are the best of friends. And he embraces me like a brother. Jesus. Peter refused to be treated by Cornelius like a god, but Peter also refused to treat Cornelius like a dog. Verse 27, and as he talked with him, look at that. They're walking and they're talking together. It's beautiful. And as he walked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, I ain't going to front. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. He's heavy up to that point, but then he says, I asked then why you have sent for me. <laughs> it just reverts back to the Peter that we know. Now, as much as Peter is so dramatically transformed, and he is, as much as Peter is, he's a different person, he's got a different attitude, he still doesn't get it. He's like, okay, I'm here. I'm not going to hate. I even actually like you guys. But surely... You're not expecting me to give you anything else, are you? And he's probably looking at his six Jewish brethren, his Jewish traveling companions, like, this is one of those nervous moments. Then the silence is broken, verse 30, and Cornelius said, you want to know why you're here? I suspect maybe he's thinking, 
really, you should know that. But, in a real cordial and gentle way, let me try and fill in the blanks. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, as he relates to me, the, the, the circumstances, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Peter probably thought, what? What did he say? Cornelius says, your, the angel says, your prayer has been heard? He's a Gentile. What's he talking about? Your prayer? God heard your prayer? Cornelius continues, verse 32. Send therefore, says the angel, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. Is it coming to you? I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to, to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter, I suspect, quickly puts two and two together and says in his mind, okay, this house full of, and immediately the word dogs comes to his mind. This house full of Gentiles and this Roman centurion, Peter may have had flashbacks of Pontius Pilate's courtyard where Jesus was being flogged by the Praetorian guard. And here stands before me in a Gentile home one of them. One of those Romans. And I remember I remember that Roman centurion nailing Jesus to that wooden beam. But then Peter remembers the Lord shortly after being nailed to that tree saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Peter, remember the vision. Oh yeah, Simon, what I have cleansed, do not call unclean. And verse 34, Peter proceeds now as he realizes to share the precious good news. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, <laughs> now I get it. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. 
You yourselves know, and this is his message now, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with, from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. He's now getting into his message. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses. That's why I'm here. I'm a witness. That's right. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They, notice, they, they who? Why doesn't he say the Romans? They put him to death. Can you see how this man is not even now? He could, he could clearly and categorically say to Cornelius, you crucified him. You are the ones who killed him. You are the ones who put him to death. But he doesn't. He says they. He says we, the Jews, put him to death. By hanging him on a tree. It's deep. But God. I love them, those but gods, right? But God raised him on the third day. And made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God. That's right, I'm a witness. As witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We are eyewitnesses. And he commanded us. That's why I'm here. Because he, thank you for reminding me Cornelius. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Now here's the punchline. Verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter preached the gospel. That's why he was there. Peter preached the gospel, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Did you see it? Peter used the keys to open the door to the Gentiles. Now watch what happens independently of Peter. Maybe the Lord's saying, Pete, there's a couple of times you missed it, so hey. I'm going to just take over. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, caught up in the rapture of the message, the gospel, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. This is one of them DVDs. When we get to heaven, I'll be, I want to pull out. I, I want to I see this. The Holy Spirit just by, completely bypassed. Peter's there enjoying himself and caught, he's, 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 imagine, he's caught up in the power of the Spirit as he's declaring the message of the gospel and the same Spirit now falls on everyone who hears that word. Wow. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. May God help us to be faithful in declaring the word. That's all the Holy Spirit needed. 
I could just imagine the Lord just waiting. Come on. Oh. Peter kept not understanding. Oh, he's got it. Oh, no, he ain't got it. The Holy, it's like the Holy... Nah, you know what? The Lord has emotion. Did you know that? I can just imagine the Holy Spirit that's there like, can't wait. You have to remember, this is groundbreaking. This is unprecedented. It never, ever happened in this way before. The Gentiles are now going to be exposed to the message of salvation. The Holy Spirit can't, can't, can't bother wait to wait for Peter to finish. <laughs> Boom. Sorry, guys. I know you keep indicating the tape's finished, but... <clears throat> or the CD. Verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised... Check it. Oh, we're going to deal with this next week, by the grace of God. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. <laughs> because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even... On the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. This is what is called by theologians the Gentile Pentecost. And it happened in this way. In order that it would be a witness. Testifying to the validity of this new experience. This does not happen every time. Someone gets saved. You see why it's so important to understand the Bible in its context. Some, I remember when I first got saved, after about a year or two, yeah, about two years after getting saved, went to a prayer meeting, like a little Bible study, and it really wasn't a Bible study. Because the Bible technically wasn't being studied. It was the perspectives of different individuals on the Bible, or not on the Bible, as the case may be. And there were these guys saying this stuff, Oh, you know what? I mean, we were. Ha I mean, as, as as simple as it was, right? It was genuine. The people who were there would love the Lord. It was beautiful. And then all of a sudden, one week, this brother comes in. And this brother comes in, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, this is wonderful." And we're like, "Yeah, Amen. Praise God. What's going on, brother? Come and take a seat." The guy turns around and says, "You know what? You like all you like all Christians? Yeah, of course. We, what are you talking about?" Not understanding where he's going. You lot all Christians, yeah, yeah. Safe. You lot been baptized? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have, because I got baptized like a month after I got saved, yeah. But there were some in the room who hadn't been baptized. Well, you know what? If you ain't baptized, you ain't really saved. And furthermore, if you are baptized, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? And let me tell you, what, that was so destructive. And true, none of us could draw for the sword in them days. You know what I mean? We, was like, we were confused because he turned to a verse, and we're going to come there in Acts, where it says that a group of individuals got baptized in Jesus' name. And when he could pull it out, and sh we was like, oh, my gosh, we don't know what, what we're about, do we? And it just confused us. It was horrible. And I'm saying, you know what, they took verses completely out of their context and come and messed us up. And it happens every day. It happens all the time. And not just in little Bible studies with 15 people. It happens in churches of thousands. Verse 
You can read this and say, whoa, look, they got saved and the Holy Spirit fell on them. They all started speaking in tongues. Well, that must mean that every time somebody gets saved, they must start speaking in tongues. It may seem like it means that, but that's not what it means. Time is against us. See, this or that which we are seeing take place. This was God confirming, legitimizing, authenticating the opening of the door to the Gentiles. It needed to be big and wow and power, ooh, angels and who voice for voice of God and who. It had to be like that because it was a rubber stamp. So if anyone contradicted, they'd be like, wait, oh, no, no, was you there though? All right, well, sit down. I was there. You got to argue with the man that was there? Listen, because of the man that was there, people get sent to prison on a daily basis. On the testimony of eyewitnesses, sit down and be quiet. Let me tell you what happened. It's the opening of the door to the Gentiles, a very significant aspect of the big picture. Then Peter declared, verse 47, can anyone, Peter's got bare mouth now, watch, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Wait a minute. Ain't, ain't this the group that a little while ago you were like, I'm not so sure about. You didn't even realize you needed to preach the gospel to them. Now, my man's... My, now he's asking the question, what stops us from baptizing them? He's convinced now. Psh, Lord, I get, I get it. I got it. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Just like us. We're Jews, they're Gentiles, but they're just like us. Now, you see the significance? And he commanded them. Never even asked them no question. <laughs> Herded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter welcomes these Gentiles into the household of God. And as a result, they invite Peter and his friends into their household. Second part of verse 48. Then they asked him to remain for some days. What a time of fellowship that must have been. There we have it. The unusual conversion of two men. Next week we will see Peter defend this day's proceedings in the face of hostile Jewish objection. You're going to be here next week? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for answering our prayers. I thank you for being the God who doesn't desire to have an image constructed on his behalf. It's an idol. You don't want no pictures. You don't want no statues of yourself. 
You want to, you want to communicate what you look like through your word. And my prayer, Lord, is that you have done that to some small degree this afternoon. And that you will continue to paint that beautiful picture of yourself in order that we might wonder as we behold who you really are. Reveal yourself to us, we pray. And we don't need an angelic visitation. We don't need a vision. We don't need to hear you speak from heaven. Because we realize that as we look into the pages of the scriptures, you continually speak to us from heaven through your word and by the power of your spirit. Help us, we pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake.